Isaiah 7. Isaiah was a prophet that spoke often to the southern kingdom, Judah. And he spoke first in the days of King Ahaz. And Ahaz was a very wicked king, as we will find this morning in the scripture reading in the sermon. Ahaz was a wicked king, and when he was king, there was an alliance made between the northern kingdom Israel and Assyria against him. Actually, Syria, not Assyria, but Syria against Ahaz and Judah. We're going to read of the word that God brought to King Ahaz through Isaiah the prophet. And in verse 14, Isaiah speaks about the Emmanuel that is coming. So we read this, especially that verse, verse 14, in connection with Lord's Day 14, which deals with the incarnation. Isaiah chapter 7. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that reason the king of Syria, and Pekah the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted. For the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and of the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeel. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, and within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it should not be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If ye will not believe... Surely ye shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, 
The land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they shall come and shall rest all of them in the desolate valleys and in the holes of the rocks and upon all thorns and upon all bushes. And the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired, namely by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet. And it shall also consume the beard. And it shall come to pass in that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep. And it shall come to pass for the abundance of milk that they shall give, he shall eat butter. For butter and honey shall every one eat that is left in the land. And it shall come to pass in that day that every place shall be where there were a thousand vines at a thousand silverlings. It shall even be for briars and thorns. With arrows and with bows shall men come thither, because all the land shall become briars and thorns. And on all hills that shall be digged with the mattock, there shall not come thither the fear of briars and thorns. But it shall be for the sending forth of oxen and for the treading of lesser cattle. And so far do we read God's inspired word. On the basis of that passage and others, we have the teaching of Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 14. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 14. What is the meaning of these words? He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. That God's eternal Son, who is and continueth true and eternal God, took upon him the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, by the operation of the Holy Ghost, that he might also be the true seed of David, like unto his brethren in all things, sin accepted. What profit dost thou receive by Christ's holy conception and nativity? That he is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God my sins, wherein I was conceived and brought forth. Lord's Day 14 speaks of a great wonder, the Incarnation. Lord's Day 14 speaks of this as the Catechism begins to describe Jesus' state of humiliation. Jesus' state of humiliation is the state in which he suffered to earn salvation for us, his people. Now, he was in this state of humiliation or suffering from his birth all the way to his death. And he suffered as one who had our sins upon himself. Having our sins upon himself, he suffered under God's judgment against those sins. He suffered 
to save us. That's astounding. And in the Apostles' Creed, in the Apostles' Creed, we confess the five steps in this state of humiliation. First, we speak of Jesus' incarnation and lowly birth. We say, He was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. That first step is covered in Lord's Day 14. The second step in this state of humiliation is his lifelong suffering, including his suffering at the hands of Pontius Pilate. That's covered in Lord's Day 15. The third step is his crucifixion. The fourth is his burial. And the fifth is his descension into hell. Those third through fifth steps will be covered in Lord's Day 16. Today, today we closely consider Lord's Day 14, which covers the first step in the state of humiliation, which is his incarnation and lowly birth. Now, the incarnation refers to the Son of God taking upon himself our flesh. That's an amazing thing. You stop and think of the Son of God taking upon himself our flesh. That's something that we cannot fully comprehend. But we can know that truth. And may we be reminded of that wonderful truth today. See how amazing it really is. Lord's Day 14 explains the the truth of the Incarnation and also speaks of the profit of it. It speaks of how it's, how it's a benefit to us. So we'll see both of those things this morning. And we look at this Lord's Day, Lord's Day 14, in connection with Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7 is a passage that contains a prophecy of the Incarnation. At the time that Isaiah chapter 7 was written, the people of Judah were facing great trouble. They had a a wicked king, Ahaz. Ahaz is actually the father of King Hezekiah. Maybe that will help you know who he is and what time he lived. He was the father of King Hezekiah, but he wasn't like Hezekiah. He was a very wicked king. And during his reign, the king of the ten tribes northern kingdom, Israel, that king, whose name was Pekah, he made an alliance with the king of Syria named Reason. And the the purpose of that alliance is given in Isaiah 7, verse 6. The purpose was to conquer the people of Judah. And they were going to set their own king on the throne. That king's name was, they were going to set the son of Tabeel on the throne. They were going to destroy Judah. That was their goal. In these difficult circumstances, the Lord sent Isaiah to tell King Ahaz not to fear because this alliance was not going to succeed. They had nothing to fear. God would be with them. God would keep these nations from destroying Judah. Ahaz was to trust in the Lord, but Ahaz did not trust in the Lord didn't. He didn't believe. 
God even gave opportunity to Ahaz to ask for a sign. Isaiah came to him and said, ask for a sign, verse 11. Ask the sign of the Lord thy God that will show that God will take care of you. Take care of his people. Ahaz refused. He says, I will not tempt the Lord. That's the, the end of verse, verse 12. I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Now that sounds pious, but Ahaz did not want a sign because he knew that if God gave him a sign, then he certainly must believe that God would provide for his people, and he certainly must serve the Lord. But he didn't want to. Despite the king's refusal to ask for a sign, Isaiah said in verse 14, The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The idea is that God's people and the line of David would not be destroyed by Syria and Israel. God would take care of his people, Judah, so that the Christ would come from that line and from the line, specifically the line of the kings, just as God promised. God would not let Judah be destroyed by this alliance. It's proved by the fact Emmanuel is coming. God's son come in the flesh to be born of a virgin. Today, we will consider that truth of the Incarnation. We'll see why it is so wonderful and what our calling is in response. Let's consider the, this text under the theme, God with us. God with us, first the truth, second the grace, third the calling. God with us, first the truth, second the grace, and third the calling. First, the truth. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. To understand this truth, know that the Son of God took upon himself the nature of man. Answer 35 says that God's eternal Son took upon him the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. Know who the Son of God is. He is the second person of the Trinity. And he has a divine nature. A nature is what makes one who he is. So one who has a human nature has a, a body, a soul, a heart. One who has a divine nature is essentially God. He is a spirit. Question and answer 35 says that the Son of God is true and eternal God. He has a divine nature. Now the Son of God took upon himself the human nature. The Son of God took upon himself a body and a soul. Answer five, answer thirty five says he took upon him the very nature of man of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. And that astounding truth is based on Scripture. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says about 
him, it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same. So the catechism and scripture say that he took on him the nature of man, and took, understand, is not a passive verb. It's not the case that this nature, this human nature, was put on him. It's not the case that this human nature was forced on him. No, Scripture and the Catechism say he took it upon himself. He willed to do this. Understand the Son's taking upon himself our human nature. Understand that correctly. First, to understand this correctly, know that the Son of God come in the flesh has two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. When the Son of God took upon himself our flesh, he certainly had a human nature. He had, he was a real man. He had a a body, and a soul. But he also continued to be divine. He continued to have a divine nature. Question and answer 35 says that God's eternal Son is and continueth true and eternal God. Isaiah 7 verse 14 calls him Emmanuel, God with us. So he did not lay aside his divine nature when he took on him the human nature, like you'd lay aside a coat and put it aside. No, the Son of God came into our flesh and had, he, be, he had a human and a divine nature. He remained very God. Second, to understand this taking on himself the human nature correctly, Know this, the Son of God continued to be one divine person. The Son of God is the second person of the Trinity. When he took upon himself the human nature, he did not become another person. He did not become two persons. No, the Son of God is one person even after the Incarnation. He is the second person of the Trinity. The third truth that we need to understand about the Son taking on our flesh is that the two natures of Jesus, human and divine, are united in the one person of the Son of God. The two natures, human and divine, united in the one person of the Son of God. How did this happen? How did the Son of God become Emmanuel? That is, God with us. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. How did this happen? First understand he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Answer 35, the catechism explains that he took on him, says the very nature of man of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary by the operation of the Holy Ghost. That, of course, is different than the way that a child is ordinarily conceived. 
A child is ordinarily conceived by a mother and father together. Jesus had an earthly mother, but the Holy Spirit took the place of the Father. There was no earthly father involved. Isaiah 7 verse 14 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin is a woman who has not had sexual relations with any man. This virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit implanted life in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Luke 1, verse 34 and 35. Say, then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So the Holy Ghost made Mary pregnant. That's the truth. The Son of God, though the Son of God was active in his own birth, he was active in his own birth, taking upon himself our nature. So how did the Son of God take a, how did he become Emmanuel, God with us? Well, he was active in it. Again, Scripture and the confessions both say he took on him the nature of man. So this is a great wonder, but consider this. As, as God, he was active in his own birth. The Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. And by the Holy Spirit, the Son so operated upon the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary that she conceived a son. As one who was very God, the Son caused himself to be conceived. The Son caused himself to be born from Mary. He caused his his own flesh and blood to develop from her. That's such a deep truth, something we cannot fully comprehend. The Son of God took upon himself the very DNA of Mary being in her womb. Mary was a descendant of King David. And so Jesus, being in her womb, took upon himself that very DNA took upon him took from the flesh and blood of Mary his own flesh and blood so that he he looked like her even like some of you boys might resemble your mothers since Mary was a descendant of King David that's what Jesus was too answer 35 says he was of the true seed of David so he was from the tribe of Judah, of the line of King David, just as God promised he would be in the Old Testament. That's how he became Emmanuel. But what kind of human nature did the Son of God take upon himself? 
What kind of human nature did he take upon himself when he came to live with us? Well, he took on him a human nature that was real, complete, and weakened. He took on him a a human nature that was real. He didn't just look like a man. He was a real man with a body, soul, and heart. Answer 35 says that he was of the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. And that's based on Hebrews 2 verse 14, which says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, like, he also himself likewise took part of the same. So he didn't just look like a man, but he had real flesh and blood. He was a real man, a real human nature. And in the second place, regarding his what kind of nature he took on himself, it was a complete human nature. So he wasn't half man and and half angel. He wasn't half man, half God. He was fully man. He had a body, soul, mind, will, and and emotions like we do. Answer 35 says he was like unto his brethren in all things. That's a quote of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. So Jesus had a real human nature, a complete human nature, and a weakened human nature. What that means is that the Son of God come in the flesh, he suffered all the results of sin, like we do, like pain and sorrow and even death. Having a weakened human nature, he even suffered in temptation, as we do. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knew that it was God's will, for instance, that he go the way of suffering to save his people from their sins. And throughout his life, he faced temptation from the devil not to go that way of suffering, but to become an earthly king. Just skip all the suffering. Just be an earthly king, Jesus. Jesus faced real temptations. He was Emmanuel. God with us had a real, complete, and weakened human nature. And the Son of God was come in the flesh. He was like us in every way, except sin. Except sin. The last phrase in answer 35 says that. Like unto his brethren in all things, sin accepted. And that's a quote, or that's a, the idea comes directly from Hebrews 4 verse 15, which again says he was te- in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What an astounding truth. One living here, no sin ever committed. Jesus is certainly sinless as one who is not guilty of original sin. We are those who are guilty of original sin in Adam. Adam was our representative head in the garden, so when he sinned, we sinned. And that guilt was imputed to us. 
We are guilty of original sin, but Christ is not guilty of it. The Son of God was not represented by Adam in the garden. Adam's guilt is imputed to the human person, but not to the second person of the Trinity. Christ is the second person of the Trinity. So Adam's guilt is imputed to a human person, but not to Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity. And because Jesus was not guilty of original sin, he did not receive a sinful nature at his conception. Question and answer 36 says that each one of us is conceived and brought forth in corruption and pollution. We have a polluted, sinful nature at birth, at conception already. But it was not like that for Christ. He was not conceived and brought forth in sin. He was born of a, of a virgin, according to Isaiah 7, verse 14. The Holy Spirit caused the Virgin Mary to conceive. So the Holy Spirit was present there. The Holy Spirit was present there protecting Jesus' human nature from the sinful nature of Mary. Luke 1 verse 35 says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And based on Luke 1 verse 35, question 36 speaks of Christ's holy conception and nativity. He was not conceived and brought forth in sin. He was conceived and brought forth in holiness. He was separate from sin and devoted to God already at conception. Being neither guilty nor polluted, Jesus never actually sinned. He never actually sinned and he could not sin. So that the devil brought temptations to Jesus not to go the way of suffering, to become an earthly king. And Jesus said again and again, I will not go that way, devil. I will go the way of my father, the way of suffering. Philippians 2 verse 8 says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He never failed to glorify God, even for a moment. Like us in all points, sin accepted. Now we see God's marvelous great grace in this. We see that great grace in this fact. The Son of God took upon himself our flesh, as we've heard this morning. He did that in order to cover our sins. Amazing. Did that to cover our sins in God's sight. Cover our sins in the sight of God, the, the great judge. And we need that. We need a covering. We need a covering for our sins because we're sinners. We sin every day. We read about Ahaz and Judah. It was a wicked time in Judah's history. Many of the people were serving idols. 
How easily, though, don't we also serve idols? We know we are to worship the one true God at all moments. So easily we worship the idol God of self. So we do things or we say things to get praise or to get validation or to get notice, concern about self there. And Ahaz and the people, they struggled with, with, or they committed wrong worship so often. So they, people went to the temple, but just went through the motions when they went there, weren't worshiping from the heart. Well, how easily do we not do the same thing? We can come here and we sing a, a psalter number, but really have no idea what we sang about. That can happen to us too. It's sin. It's not worshiping in spirit and in truth. We ask too, did I, did I always trust God, trust in Him in all the difficult times that I faced in my life, or was I sometimes like Ahaz was, and I didn't look to God, didn't trust in Him to provide what I stood in need of? We sin, we fail. And these failures, they flow forth from a sinful nature. Answer 36 says that we are conceived and brought forth in sin, and that's, that comes from Psalm 51, that phrase does. And that it means that we are conceived and brought forth in the sphere of sin. We are full of sin in every part, already at conception by nature. Each one of us has a, a sinful nature still, and that sinful nature is a totally depraved sinful nature from which our sins flow forth. For that sinful nature even, we're guilty before God. We're guilty of the daily sins we commit, but also for that sinful nature we have within. And having that sinful nature, we commit even far more sins than we even know about. Psalm 19, verse 12, David says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. And those secret faults he talks about are referring to sins that aren't even known to him. There are so many times where we have, have a, a wrong attitude towards our neighbor. So many times where we're maybe bitter when we should not be. We never should be bitter. So many sins we commit, so many failures to glorify God in our life going back to our childhood, we can't even remember them all. Often our pride even blinds us to those sins. So many sins. And we need all of those sins to be covered in God's sight. We need that. We sometimes think that it would be really bad if others knew about our sin. So we can think, my pastor knows about this, or my elders know, that's bad. Or young people, you can think, my, my parents know about this sin, I would do almost anything if, they, if that sin was just covered from their side, they didn't know about it, this is bad. What we really need, though, is not a covering from our parents or from the, the pastor or from the FBI or the police. What we really, really need is a covering of our sins in God's sight. Just think of this. What is punishment for a, a little time from your parents compared to punishment under God's eternal wrath in hell? 
You see, what we really, really need, our greatest need, is that those sins that we commit and our sinful nature is covered in the sight of the Holy God. We need someone to cover our sins in God's sight so that in His sight it's as if we've never sinned and we escape that punishment that we deserve. Well, the Son of God, this brings us to the wonderful truth of the gospel, the Son of God took upon himself our flesh to cover our sins in God's sight. Question and answer 36 says, What profit dost thou receive by Christ's holy conception and nativity? That he is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sins, wherein I was conceived and brought forth. 1 John 4, verse 10 is one one passage that speaks of Christ covering our sins. It says, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is one you might have heard before. It it refers to a payment made. And part of the idea of the word is that a payment is made to cover sin. That payment covers sins. Well, 1 John 4 verse 10 says that God sent Christ to make the payment for sin so that those sins are covered. He's the propitiation for our sins. And know that the Son of God, He took upon Himself our flesh to do that. He took upon Himself our flesh to cover those sins. A payment had to be made for sin to be covered in God's sight. And to pay the price, one had to suffer under God's eternal wrath against all the sins of his people. And one had to suffer under that wrath while perfectly obeying God. Because that one had to have their righteousness credited to us so that we would be righteous before God. To pay the price for sin and to cover them, one must be very man, perfectly righteous, and very God. That's the only way the payment could be made, is one by one who was very man, perfectly righteous, and very God. One had to be very man because, as you learn in catechism, only man can pay for man's sins. One had to be perfectly righteous to make the payment because one who has the debt of sin himself can't pay the debt of another. And the one who made the payment had to be very God because only one who is very God can endure God's wrath against sin all the way to the end to pay for all of the sins of God's people. Son of God took upon himself our flesh so that he might make the payment and cover those sins. Remember, only man can pay for man's sins. So the Son of God took upon himself our human nature to pay for those sins. And taking upon himself our flesh, he also remained perfectly righteous. He was born of a virgin, overshadowed by the Holy Ghost, protected his human nature. Also, he remained very God in the incarnation. So really, that that phrase in, in 
Isaiah 7 verse 14, or that word, Emmanuel, which means God with us, it shows that he was able to make the payment and cover our sins. He's God with us. He's very God, very man, perfectly righteous. He took upon himself our flesh to cover our sins. He accomplished that work, gaining for us everlasting life. Praise God for that today. The Son of God took upon himself our flesh to cover our sins, and what that shows is his grace. His great grace. God's grace is his attitude of undeserved favor towards his people. And to see that his attitude of favor towards us is undeserved, think of who we are. We're sinners. We commit idolatry. We commit wrong worship. We do not always trust in him as we ought. We deserve God's wrath. And God's Grace is upon us. His favor is upon us who deserve the opposite. And the Son of God, in taking upon himself our flesh, showed the great grace of God in doing that work. Think of how he became a man for us sinners. Think of that. The eternal Son of God bound himself to time willingly. The Almighty Son of God became a baby willingly. The glorious Son of God, who's being perfectly praised and and honored in heaven, he came to the sin-cursed earth where he was dishonored of men and spit upon and beaten. He did that willingly. And why? He did it willingly so that he might die for us and cover our sins in the sight of God. That coming of of the Son of God in our flesh is the fullest expression of God's grace. The fullest expression of his love to us. And, And God the Father showed his great grace in sending Jesus. God the Father doesn't need us for anything. In fact, God, God the Father could well have rejoiced in our destruction for we are sinners. But he didn't. He has, he has such great grace towards us that he sent his only begotten son to suffer in order to cover our sins. The very name Father implies his love for his son. It makes us think of, of the fathers here. And in fathers, you know what love you have for your sons and for your daughters. In love for them, you seek to keep them from, you go to great lengths to keep them from any hurt, any suffering. Now you think of God the Father who sent his only begotten Son to suffer here and die in order to cover our sins. That is great grace. He determined in eternity to send his son for us. Isaiah 7 verse 14 shows that. It's a prophecy made many years before Christ even came. It shows God's determination to do this. Send his only begotten son.
cover our sins. What marvelous grace. In the last place this morning, we have a couple of callings in response to what we have heard first. First, trust in Jesus for all of your salvation. Believe in Him. Believe that the Son of God came in the flesh to save His people. Isaiah 7 verse 14 prophesies of the Emmanuel coming. Well, He did come. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those books show that He came. Believe it. And believe in Jesus for all of your salvation. God was calling Ahaz to do it. A, God was calling the Jews to believe in Him. Those Jews and Ahaz were sinners. They had committed idolatry. And through the prophet Isaiah, God reminded them of Emmanuel's coming. He says to those sinners in Isaiah 7, verse 14, through Isaiah, he says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. The very fact that God spoke of a sign showed that He was pointing the people to salvation. The signs that God gives are things that depart from the ordinary way of things and point to salvation. God is saying, Emmanuel will come and bring salvation from sin just as I promised. Believe in Him. Look to Him. But Ahaz didn't. Ahaz did not. What about us? You and I are sinners who deserve God's eternal wrath for our sins. The Son of God took upon Himself our flesh to cover the sins of God's people in the sight of God. Trust in Him for that covering. Trust in Jesus alone. Second, second response to what we've heard today. Trust in God to supply all your needs. That was part of God's calling to Ahaz and the Jews at the time of Isaiah. Remember their situation. Syria and Israel had made an alliance. They were threatening to destroy Judah and destroy the line of the kings. Well, God through Isaiah told the people that, or told the king that their plan would not succeed. The plan of Israel and Syria wouldn't work. And then God gave a sign that showed Judah wouldn't be destroyed. He said, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God was making it so obvious to Ahaz and the people that Judah would not be destroyed. Why? Because the Christ was going to come and Ahaz knew as well as the rest of the people knew that the, the promised Christ, this Emmanuel, was going to come from the line of Judah. And specifically the line of the kings. So the, Judah would not be destroyed. The line of the kings would not be destroyed. God was going to send his son. The Messiah would come. He's telling them that right here. Also, God's words so clearly showed Ahaz that God is able to preserve his people and defend them. He's almighty. The fact that a virgin would be with child 
shows that what's impossible with man is possible with God. He's almighty. He's able and willing to provide for Judah. So God gave Ahaz this sign, was was really referencing his almighty power. Essentially, he was demanding that Ahaz trust in him to take care of Judah and supply all their needs and not look to another nation to help them trust in God. But Ahaz did not trust in God to supply his needs. What about us? What about us? We face difficulties in this life just as Ahaz did. We face spiritual enemies. We face the devil, the world, our own sinful nature who attack us. We face financial difficulties. There are also trials, great trials in this life that maybe you are facing right now. And we need God to provide. Knowing that he sent his son to cover our sins, trust in him. He will certainly not let us be destroyed by Satan and the world and our own sinful nature. He will work in us. He will sanctify us for his son has come to cover our sins and earn for us all the blessings of salvation. Trust in him in the midst of trials. He will, God will make all things work for our good. He even sent his son to cover our sins. He will provide what we need physically until the time he's determined to take us home to glory. He'll provide for us physically so that we have the strength to go about our daily activity and glorify him in that. He has sent his son to die for us, so he certainly is willing to provide all we need. And he's obviously able, as Almighty God who even brought about, the virgin birth. Trust in him today. Trust in him every day to supply all your needs. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, Lord, we stand amazed at the truth of the incarnation that thou did, that thy son took upon himself our flesh. And we stand in awe of the truth that he did this for the purpose of covering our sins in thy sight. Lord, work in us to lean upon Jesus Christ more and more for all of our salvation. Work in us to trust in thee more and more to supply all our needs as the God who loves us, loves us for Jesus' sake. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing Psalter number 319.